May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. His name meant Charles the Great. He was crowned King of the Franks when he was just 21 years old, and just six years later, he added the crown of the the Lombards, think Italy. Then in 800 AD, his power just continued to grow. He was crowned Holy Roman Emperor. Historians call him Pater Europae, the father of Europe. He, he reunited some of, of what had formerly been the old Roman Empire and, and added to it parts of Europe that, that had never been controlled by ancient Rome. The most powerful man in the world. There, there are languages that even now have as their word for whatever their most powerful ruler is, parts of his name. And then when he was 72 years old, after five decades of power that just kept growing, Charlemagne died. And I realize that legends tend to grow up about great men like that, so I I take a grain of salt with what I'm about to, to tell you. It sounds almost too good to actually have happened, but this is what this is what you'll find out there written, what happened at his funeral. So, of course, he's Holy Roman Emperor, so it's going to be a huge thing, right? The, the, the grand funeral procession that goes from his castle to the cathedral at X, and, and as that, that beautiful procession, the, the, the royal casket approaches, it stops because the bishop is there barring the gate with his traditional question, who comes? The the royal herald steps forward and says, Charlemagne, Lord and King of the Holy Roman Empire. The bishop replies, him I know not. Who comes? The herald tries again. Charles the Great, a great and noble man, honest and and steadfast and a benefit to society and, and culture. The bishop says, him I know not. Who comes? So the herald tries again, this time barely more than a whisper, Charles, a poor sinner begging Christ's mercy. With that, the bishop, Christ's representative, swings open the gates and says, enter, receive Christ's gift of life. I told you it fit a little bit too perfectly, so I'm... I'm, I'm I have wonder, I hope that that's what actually happened. I hope that that's what, what Charlemagne felt. Because it makes a powerful point, right? It makes the point that our gospel that Vicar just read makes, right? As Jesus is talking about, about pride, it makes the point that James wrote about and applied to our lives about that favoritism. And, and it certainly makes the point of our proverb, our, our sermon text for today. We cannot stand before God on our power or prestige, obedience or authority. We need the real king to say to us, come up here. The proverb we have before us is recorded in Proverbs 25, and it is just that. It's a a proverb. 
right? It's, it's a general statement of, of wisdom. The, the Proverbs aren't designed to be absolute truths that fit and apply in every single situation, but they are general truths that explain how life goes in this world, and they require wisdom to see how they apply. That, that's what a proverb is. That's what it's designed to be. And today, God gives us the wisdom to see how this proverb applies to us. And that's important because when we're talking about the sin of pride, which all of our readings today are are tackling, when we're talking about the sin of pride, it's really important to see that it applies to us way more than we want to think it does. I mean, think about it. You don't have any problem seeing the sin of pride in other people, do you? That's really easy. You can spot a proud person or a proud thought or a proud action like that, but it's a little bit more difficult to, to come to grips with the pride that, that lives in each of our hearts. In fact, you proud sinners are probably a little proud of how humble you are. Think about that. In our gospel day, Jesus is talking about something that makes a whole lot of secular sense, right? I mean, put it maybe in our terms. If you go to a wedding, you are not going to sit at the head table if you are not wearing a tux, right? If you're not in the wedding party, you, you don't sit at the head table. We get that, right? It, it doesn't make sense for you to go into work and take the boss's seat. If you get called into court, you don't go sit where the judge is supposed to sit. That won't turn out well for you. I mean, this, this is common sense stuff. We, we understand this. Even kids get it, right? Um, Pretty please works a whole lot better than a a rude demand to mom and dad. A little humility goes a very long way. And Jesus shows how it's not just in the the, the secular world, how things normally go in in this life, that we're we're not going to, to put ourselves in a place where that's not our authority. But he shows that it, it applies to the spiritual world, too. It's way better in any situation when the one in charge gets to lift you up from whatever spot you took than when he has to humble you. That's why our proverb says what it does. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence. It is better for him to say to you, come up here. So what does that look like in our lives? exalting ourselves in the king's presence. The, the word that's translated exalting yourself there is, is translated, if you look at different translations, just about everyone has something different, but, but they all have that same idea of, of pride, right? Where we're putting ourselves forward. The, the word itself has the picture of, of swelling, right? Or, or being puffed up, right? So you get a big head, you get all puffed up. One translation says don't brag about yourself in the king's presence. Another one says don't honor yourself, you know, don't, don't make sure that they know, hey, look at how good I am. I I like the one that says, do not put yourself forward in the king's presence. Because remember how I told you how it's it's easier to see the sin of pride in others than, than in ourselves? There's a reason for that. Because deep down, we always want to say, well, here, I've got the exception to the general rule. 
in this particular situation, it makes sense for me to put myself forward because no one else is going to. I mean, how else are they going to know how great I am if I don't tell them or, or if I don't, I, don't, I don't brag a little bit, and maybe even a backdoor brag, but, but, but I got to do it a little bit because otherwise they're never going to know. And in this situation, that's not pride. That's just, it's what I have to do, right? Look at what the, the proverb says that leads to. You know, he says it's not a good idea on a secular level because, well, we'll get embarrassed by the one in charge or, uh, and we'll rob ourselves of the chance to be, to be elevated, to be honored by the king. But it's far more dangerous when we start talking about it spiritually. So do you ever exalt yourself in the, the king's presence? Think about how many times in the last couple months that you have said to God, oh, no, no, God. You see, I'm number one, not you. I'll give you top five, maybe even top three, but I'm number one. No, you haven't had that conversation? Every time that we say to God, you know what, God, I've, I've got something better to do than, than worship you right now. Well, I'm number one. Or I've got something better to think about than thinking about you while I'm worshiping you right now. That's, God, I'm number one. You got two, but I'm, I'm one. Or God, Bible study, I, I don't really have to keep growing in my relationship with you, God. I've, I've learned it all before. I, I, don't, I don't need to do that too. I'm number one. Every time that text ding interrupts our prayer every time you skip a daily devotion time, every time God time slides down that, that priority list. I'm number one, God. Really, any sin, right? Because any sin is saying, I'm going to do what, what I want to do, not what you say, God. So, so you, you, you take your spot behind me because I'm, I'm number one here. And, and look at how the, the text says that turns out. Humiliation. Being brought down. Spiritually, that's trouble. Ultimately, that's hell. We need a change. And you know what the change is called? It, it's repentance, that, that change of heart from that proud heart. We need a change. And repentance, it, it's being sorry for your sins. It's not, sorry I got caught, or sorry you don't like it, God. But repentance is that, that honest realization that I have, have wronged, I have sinned, a holy and righteous God who deserves nothing but, but my respect and honor and love and obedience, and, and I have no excuse. It's foolish, it, it is dumb to, to put myself first, and, and yet I do it again and again and again. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I can't put myself forward before God. I've got nothing. That's what repentance says. You feel the hammer of God's law banging away at your heart. You understand the foolishness of your sinful actions and attitudes and how God rightly should destroy you. And then you are not putting yourself forward before the king because you know you can't. That is when the king says what he does in our text. 
come up here. He does not say it because we deserve it. He doesn't say it because we figured out the right words to say to get him to like us. He says it because Jesus humbled himself for us. The Son of God, who deserved the seat of honor, took the place of sinners. Jesus, who had all of heaven's riches, became poor. The one who was sitting on the throne, on the judge's seat, allowed himself to be thrown down in front of those, those inferior judge's seats. You know, the, the chief priests, and, and then Pilate, and then Herod, and then Pilate again. Also that he could be condemned, so that he could be killed for us. He humbled himself to death, even death on the cross, so that he could raise us up, so that he could say to us, come up here. When we don't put ourselves forward, but rely entirely on the mercy of God. Look at what he gives us. Jesus rose from the dead to guarantee us eternal honor. Seat at the head table in heaven's banquet. Think about it. In the miracle of baptism, a poor sinner feels the waters splash and hears God's word claiming him as his own. Come up here. In the Word. I mean, think about it. When we come here to church, what do we start with the confession, right? And, and we, we repent. We, we say we're poor, miserable sinners. We put ourselves back there with the tax collectors and the sinners and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I can't. I don't have anything to bring to this. I need your mercy. And you know what he says. I forgive you. You are my child. Come up here to the family table. And think about what, what we receive at, at the table, at the altar. Jesus' own body and blood. The very thing used to pay our price where he humbled himself so that he could raise us up. He connects us with that as we feast on his body and blood in with and under the bread and wine for our forgiveness. It is God saying, come up here. You're mine. When we rely on his merit and not ours, how sweet it is what we hear. Come up here. He gives us heaven. And not even just heaven, but even now, he gives us the comfort and confidence of a relationship with him. Knowing that I don't have to depend on, on the things that I fail so often in. But my king says to me, because of Jesus, come up here in Christ. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's rise and confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. <clears throat> I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated.
Gracious God, you invite us to come up here and speak to you in prayer, a privilege we could not take on our own. You bless those who fear you, and your spirit works in us a great delight for your commands. Give us a spirit of humility that loving you above all things, we live in generosity toward others, in full dependence on you, and in unshaken confidence that it is you who will call us to come up and spend eternity with you in heaven. As we await that day when you will exalt us, give us opportunities to see the needs of others and provide for them not only physical help and blessing, but share with them the eternal gifts you give us through your Son. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, through Christ, death is defeated, and we know that what awaits us as we close our eyes in this life is your heavenly glory. We ask you to comfort the family of Tremaine Hawkins and Les Christian, who is Anne's brother, as you have now ended their struggles with health and brought them to eternal glory. We praise you for the faith you've given them and that you have sustained them with your holy word and promises through their struggle. May the peace and promise of your son's atoning sacrifice on the cross and his empty tomb bring assurance to the hearts of those who mourn, especially Tremaine's children, her mother Gloria, and Les's sister Anne. Help us always to live in joyful anticipation of the day when you will call us from our graves, reunite us with Tremaine and Les, and all believers, and fill us with perfect bliss in your presence forever. Lord, in your mercy. You alone, Lord, have the power to provide healing to those who are sick. We entrust to your care all who suffer from illness and disease. We ask you to be with Gloria King in her health struggles. We ask that you help Bill as he cares for Gloria and give him the strength to provide for her. If it is your will, relieve her pain and restore her to health. Give the kings the patience to bear up under these hardships with a firm faith that looks to you for needed strength. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, we commend to your care Lynn Oliver as he undergoes surgery on Tuesday. Thank you for blessing doctors and medical workers with great skill. Bless their work so that your servants may enjoy relief and recovery from his affliction. With confidence in your faithful love, we place Lynn into your hands. Lord, in your mercy. Now hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. All these we ask in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. We now give our offerings of thanks to God that he has called us up here to give us his grace. <laughs> 